Welcome to episode four of Frank Warren's Heavyweight Podcast. I'm Adam Cattrall, obviously. Frank Warren's here, and I'd say something, you've lined up a proper guest for me today. This is a bit of a fanboy moment for me, so thank you very much for uh, for sorting this out. We've had some wonderful episodes so far. In Vegas, we did Fury, we've had Piers Morgan, we've had John Burke, who I thought it was brilliant last time. And this time, you've lined up... Ricky Hatton. Wow, man. Doesn't get better the than this. You have a fantastic relationship with Ricky. Obviously, um, you, you spent a lot of time with him in his early career building him up yep. uh, to the point. What are you uh, hoping to get out of the conversation today? I just think that, again, getting the, getting Ricky's character to come across. You know, he's a he's a, been a fantastic representative for sport in the UK for boxing. World champion. Was it 45 wins out of 48 fights? I mean, he's he's been there, done it all, and I just mm. want him to... Be himself like he is always himself and let our listeners hear his great life stories. There you go. Let's get stuck into it. Frank, I've got to thank you with this uh, with this particular episode that we're doing. Uh, because I think I've said to you in the past, there's one British boxer that introduced me to boxing there's one British boxer that made me fall in love with British boxing and wanting to spend my hard-earned cash going to follow him around the world and he's sat right in front of us right now the one and only hitman himself Mr Ricky Hatton talk to me about your relationship with him when did you first meet him how did you first become a pal of Ricky Hatton it was very early stage of his career I think he'd come back from Cuba just after Cuba yeah um, world juniors world junior championships yeah. yeah and a great he'd done well out there and uh, got introduced to him it was up at Manchester I had a show in Manchester and I think we met on the Friday, just before the weigh-in, with Ricky's his dad and uh, I think Billy was Billy Graham there. I'm not sure if he was yeah. Well, well, Billy Graham was there. My dad was there, and um, I think Billy had mentioned to you a few times because yeah. I've been training with Billy Graham from being about 16, and I think he might have said to Frank, you know, you know, along the way, and then uh, when we decided to to make the move, it was before the Nassim Ahmed Billy Hardy show and That's right. Robin Reed, Henry Wharton, and. Um, Massive show. show, and uh, I just come fortunate, and it was nice to be at ringside to on such a massive show. And it got the juices flowing even further, yeah. Yeah, so we'd done the deal, yeah. I was really pleased with it, and uh, and off we went. And I think he made your debut, was it in Withenshaw? Um, Witness, 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 yeah. yeah. I've got Kim McCauley in Witness. Um, I knocked him out in the first round, but um. I think I won the ABAs and I won eight national titles. I think they wanted to try and get me on on Sky to just show me on Sky. So it was a floater that night. But all the fights went the distance, unfortunately. And uh, Robin Reed got rushed to hospital. Robin Reed for Hassan Sharifi for the defending his world title, and he, um, he he collapsed it with dehydration, Robin. So the paramedics had to leave the ringside and stuff like that. So I didn't get in the ring. So I should have been on at half seven. I got in the ring at half twelve. I think there was only my mum and dad and the people sweeping up and in there, but it was it was brilliant, you know, making your debut on a world title bill mm. and to get a first round knockout, it was uh, it was great, yeah, good. Yeah, and I gave him the keys to lock up. <laughs> 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 but it was, yeah, it was a shame that that that, that happens. That's, that happens. What a floater is just so that people understand. Yeah. It's when a fight goes short, you try and get, you know, somebody's got a. I think Ricky was doing a four rounder. It's his debut fight, so you want to get him in and get him some exposure on TV, you know, in between. While you're on air, so unfortunately, it didn't work out. Yeah, it can happen a lot. That mm. happens a lot. Yeah. You, you obviously saw the talent, but did you ever envisage the fan base that obviously ended up following this man around the world? No, I've got to be honest, not at all. I mean, and and a, mo- most of it, 
I mean, obviously, we work as, from a PR side, you know, giving him the exposure, making the fights, getting the uh, platform to develop his, show his talent and his skills and, you know, how good he was to the world, or certainly to UK at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest of it was himself. He was, he's, he's, a, he's a man of the people. And I use that phrase with certain fighters, you know, where, where the fans treat him as one of their own. You know, he's not one of those guys that has got a big wall of agents in front of him and so forth. He is, he is a man of the people and he's been himself. And yeah. over the years doing his, <clears throat> you know, he, he realised, I think with Ricky, realised the importance of selling tickets. Because if you're selling tickets, you're building a fan base. And if you've got a fan base at a promotion, that fan base is cheering them on. That creates an atmosphere and an environment. And that's what happened. And his fan base just went through his hard work and endeavours, went to probably being the biggest fan base of any British boxer that I've been involved with. Were you always aware of it? Were you always aware that there was a, a huge following? No, not, 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 not at first. I always had uh, a good following, even at the, the, the small, when I was an amateur, and at the small, my first professional fights, because of um, I was very popular around the area, you know what I mean? I was famous in every pub around the area for me since. <laughs> so I was, al- I was always able to, to move tickets because I was very liked around my local area. But at the time, you know, um, you know it, the way Frank brought me on, and it was, it was Sky at the time, and everyone was saying that I should have gone on terrestrial TV. And they proved, you know, Frank proved, and Sky proved at the time, that you don't need, didn't need terrestrial. You know, when I became Sky's first ever world champion that come through solely on Sky. So I think, you know, you know, me and Frank did did um, wonders for, for for Sky. So <laughs> but also the way um the job that they were doing at Sky, they they were able not just to bring out my fighting style and my ability. They did that much coverage of me, Frank kept me busy and having regular fights. They were able to bring out my personality. Yeah. And, you know, and also not just Sky bring out my personality and show me my fighting style because of the amount of times they were showing me. Frank also put me on in Manchester on a regular basis with two other Manchester fighters called Anthony Farnell and Michael Gomez, yeah. who, you know, obviously Anthony and Michael didn't quite get to the heights when I got, but we made the fan base, the three of us, together. Do you know what I mean? And mm. it was only when I got to a certain stage, my Manchester fan base... I'd like to think started building a national fan base and it yeah. went it basically went on from there really. But we did it. It was all done the right way from day one and on I'm very proud to say with the help of my two mates, Mike, Michael Gomez and Anthony Farnell. And, and in those days, Manchester, I'd done a few shows in Manchester and it's pretty much in the doldrums as far as, you know, bringing big fights back there. But they built that originally it was the GMEX Centre, yeah. then they built the arena. <clears> and we done you know, he's done well, but you know, he was Ricky was the catalyst to make it all happen, and it really did happen, big time. Well, that period in Manchester, it was like you know, you know, Oasis and Stone Roses were top of the tree. You know, I was coming through and I ended up winning my world title. Um, one thing I'm, 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 a, I'm a, <laughs> from his sins, Manchester United were winning everything, and everything. <laughs> so you know, from the music, from the boxing, from the football, Manchester was like the centre of the universe for that period in, yeah. in time. A very short On, period. Arsenal yeah. were doing the business as well. <laughs> calm down, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> you had to just ruin it there, Frank. <laughs> no, but you know, for that short period, Manchester really was the place to be. And when Frank, you know, put me myself on in Manchester. He knew he was going to sell out. Yeah. He knew he was going to sell out, you know, and, you know, it pretty much at the time was what we're getting at. You could sell anything in Manchester because yeah. we were at the top of the tree and in so many areas. You've, you've always seemed 
at home in front of massive crowds. But was there ever a moment when maybe you're making a ring walk or something, or maybe you had a, a way in that it took your own breath away? The Costa fight, which ultimately was my greatest ever win or anything like that. But I think when I box, I've always been a little bit of a boxing historian from a very young age. So when I got the opportunity to box at Madison Square Garden when Nassim Hamid boxed Kevin Kelly. Now, even though I was only 18 years of age, because of the history that of following boxing and being a historian, I knew what it meant for someone to box at Madison Square Garden. So I was walking to the ring at Madison Square Garden and there was, you know, the... The ring announcer was like Michael Buffer and George Foreman was commentating at ringside for HBO and it, it was like for the kid from the council estate from Hattersley to box there, it was a real wow, took my breath away. But like I mentioned earlier, my pro debut was on a world title show. My second fight was at Madison Square Garden. I think that's why I was able to cope with fighting in front of big crowds, having big crowds, being, you know interviewed left, right and centre. I think from a really early age, I was like, not thrown in at the deep end, I mean thrown in, but in a good way, yeah. if that makes sense. It was a, it made it easier for me to cope further down the line. There was no guarantee I was going to get to the heights I got to. But I mean, if I was going to get to the heights I got to, that stood me, standing me in good stead. That was a joint thing for us at Madison Square Garden because uh, I'm a kid from the council estate in Islington and... To be promoting there, at yeah. Madison Square yeah, Garden. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you grow up watching these things, so it was, it, you know, it was, it was, it was a great night. I, you know, fantastic night for me personally. But you know, to be with Ricky from the start and to be part of what was happening with him and the development of his career and getting him to the stage where I felt in guiding him outside the ring, you know, guiding w where I felt he should be and getting him into the position where he was going to become the mandatory challenger for Costa Zoo was quite a process and when we got to that and and this was like the cuffs now of all the excitement you could have um, we had to force the issue because originally they were ducking the fight we couldn't get the fight and I had a contract with Showtime at the time all my fights were being shown back in the States on Showtime from the UK and the shows we were doing in the States and we made a final eliminator for Ricky to get into the number one <coughs> position. To fight against Mike Stewart. Yeah. yeah, against Mike Stewart to get into that position. Fan and I fancy, I mean, we will fancy that fight big yeah, time. because if they were obviously ducking about it, I mean, no. why would Costa do want to duck? But, yeah. I mean, but if he was trying to duck out of it, you know, Frank got me in a position where they he didn't have a choice, they had to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then we got the fight done and, and he's chomping at the bit. You know, I want to fight him tomorrow, I want to fight him. And, and I, I had it in my mind to just drag it out a little bit longer. And I know it was frustrating at the time, but by the time we did the deal to the fight happened was nearly six months. Wow. But, but it's all about timing. And I'm a big believer in that. I and mean, I've mentioned it a few times when we do these things. You know, the best punch is about timing your shot. And making matches is about timing. And Costa <coughs> Zoo was, a, not was, was and is a top quality fighter. Yeah. Ricky was going into that fight. There's another one of those fights that we mentioned again in a couple of other podcasts. Well, he was, he was on pound for pound list, was Costa Zuba. He, he was pound for pound, and he was a massive underdog. Yeah. And I fancied him for my life, and we were, we were you know, we had a few good results at the time with, with British fighters against Americans, but I really fancied it. And what it was, it was about styles. And what Ricky did in that fight was phenomenal. Mm. You know, great body shots, the pressure he put him under, and he broke his heart. And Costa Zuba was a great fighter, and he's called him and Johnny Lewis. It's about it was about the eleventh round, wasn't it? Yeah, eleventh round. He, he pulled him out. He, he pulled him out. That was the that was proper corner work. He knew that was it. He knew that he could, obviously he couldn't win the fight, and he knew he was going to get he'd probably get stopped in the next round. And Ricky, that Rick, Ricky's performance that night, in my opinion, was his best performance of his whole career, and it was a fan, fabulous and fantastic night. And and it and for me, you know, 
one of my you know ticks on the box, one of the best promotions I've been involved with. But he, what he did was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal performance, and you know we was all top of the world. It was yeah. that was how it was going to be. You know we we all celebrated and Eastie celebrated and yeah, continue like, celebrating. But it was a, it was brilliant, wasn't brilliant, it? Yeah, it's and it's like Frank said, it, it's all about timing and. It's about timing where you're fighting, where you're promoting, and I'm training fighters now, and I've done a little bit of promoting along the way, did all right, but not nowhere near the stage where Frank was. But I mean, I know how the games works now, and in bringing along the youngsters, you know, through that that I've been doing. But I mean, at the time when I first, I was miving Frank like there was no tomorrow because that's that's who I was. I was I, I wanted to, I generally wanted to fight, never ducked anyone, never feared anyone. I had huge confidence and self-belief in myself. But, I mean, people talk about all the big names and the big fights, rightly so. But I had 15 defences of the WBU title before I got to Koshizu and beat some really big names, you know, like Oliveira, Vince Phillips, Ben Taki. But when I had my first few fights against, yeah, McGee, when I had my first few fights against the likes of Justin Russell and and John Bailey and people like that, I said, oh, get me Koshizu. And I'll be honest with you, it killed me. Because it wasn't the right time, and Frank just you know you know said just give us a bit of time let's step up in class with the likes of the Oliveiras and you know the Ben Tackies and the Vince Phillipses and the manner in which I won that performance, I think won them fights. I think that was about the right time when I needed it, and I think we went. I think I come to your box in Arsenal that's when you we were in Arsenal yeah. when City played Arsenal, and to be honest, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's a game you probably won that time. <laughs> and we did win that. <laughs> but, we did win that. <laughs> but now, and but then I would say, what do you want to fight? He said we can go for um, uh, Vivian Harris and Shambay Mitchell or someone like that. I went, no, Frank, I really, really want it. I think it's about time. I beat Vince Phillips. I beat Ben yeah. Taki, and and then that's what Frank did. And then Frank put the moves to get the mandatory Scott against Mike Stewart. And, and I think it was after that conversation where he'd always said me no. And I'd always said, had faith in Frank when he said, it's not right, it's not right. But I think we both knew when I went to the city that time, yeah, yeah. this is probably the right time. And we got Mike Stewart. And we, in fact, we had another one in between for Ray Oliveira, which was my best performance of my career and up to that stage. Yeah. And for what, to go and stop someone like Ray Oliveira, who was a real hard Tough, pro... Yeah. For your first fight before you go into Koshizu, preparation, it couldn't have gone and mentally, any more perfect. And mentally, you know, the, the, what you're doing, but also you come out of that fight feeling like, you know... King of the world, ready to go. exactly right. And he's mentally... And I remember we was at, I remember we was at, the, at, the, at the Arsenal game, which we won. I said to Ricky in between Arsenal scoring all these goals against them, <laughs> I remember saying to him... Uh, that's that's what I went for a pie. <laughs> <laughs> no, we. Uh, no, no, I remember. I remember saying, you know, I said, I said, do you really? I knew he wanted it, but I just wanted, you know, look at him, and he said, do you, you really want this fight? I want it, and I and I knew, and I, you know, you, you get a feeling. Yeah. I know. I thought he ain't going to be in a better mental position ever than now to fight this guy. Let's do it and get it done. Were you aware once that fight had completed, you won? King of the world, were you aware at that particular moment that that was the highest high that you would feel in a boxing ring? Yeah, it probably was. People were saying to me at the time when I won it, What you're going to do to motivate yourself, you know, you know, that's like your Mount Everest of of your, your, your achievements. And I said, Well, there's loads of fighters out there that have had one good win, and then that, but that's all they've done. And the legacy has not been left because they've only had that one win. Mm. Yeah, they beat that one because, you know, I didn't want it to look like it was a fluke. By beat Costa Zoo because I was an underdog. Nobody expected me to do it, and I did pull it off. 
You know what I mean? If 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 it if it had crumbled out there and in and got splattered by a few people, people have said, "Oh, he's a one-hit wonder, him Ricky, yeah. and one he like that." And I didn't want that. And I also had, you know, my little little boy Campbell was on the way at the time, so I had kids to provide for, and I was. Because I was so into me, me boxing and being a boxing historian, I was thinking, now, no, I want, want the pennies in the bank, but obviously it goes without saying, but I want to make leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And then I thought, there's no reason why, if I beat Koshi Zoo, it's formidable, there's no reason why I can't go on and beat him, him, him and him. And that was, uh, I always had that massive self-belief, I think my best quality, and I know my limitations, I had a good engine, and I listened to my trainer and listened to the people around me. But the even when people, and even when the fans or even when the press didn't share my enthusiasm, I, I used that as my fuel. I used to think, I'll show you, you know, what I'm capable of. You, and I used to you, say, you can swear on here, you're all yeah, right. <laughs> I, used think, I used to think, don't they think I can beat him? You know what I mean? And I think for one of the fights, I, I, I put that weight on and there was an article in the paper, there's only one... F- Ricky Fatten, yeah. I thought you cheeky fuckers. I mean, you have it. And I, and I, I come out of, with a fat suit on one time, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the relationship I had with the press. The press were brilliant with me, and I still get on brilliant with them all when I go to the shows these days now because they said we never had a slanging match. You used to do it in like that. That was like my two fingers up yeah, to yeah. them all for calling me Ricky Fatten. But no, it was uh, great times. Great to look back and talk about them all. Yeah, it's some wonderful nights in America as well. Obviously, before we get to Mayweather. People kind of, because of the Mayweather and the Pacquiao fights, people kind of forget that you went to America and conquered some top fighters whilst you were over there, you know? The likes well, of uh, Castillo and whatever. Yeah, well, I went to, I went to, I, I, wonder, I wanted to do what me, me, me heroes have done because I, I, I beat Costa Zoo, then I beat Mauser, and then I, um, I got the Ring Magazine belt, and then I wanted to become a two weight. Yeah. World champion. Say I'd done out two weights. I, reluctantly, Billy didn't want me to. Because I've only been five foot six. I know I tell everyone I'm six foot six, but I've only I'm only five foot six, and that's short for the light welter. And you know, normally you know you move up in weight when you're struggling at the light welter. You move up in weight, but that wasn't the case for me. You know, I moved up in weight, and I was never a welterweight. I was no. never a welterweight. But what I wanted to do, and I fought Louis Calazzo, and I won the world welterweight title. But by I think it was only the knockdown in the first first round that won it for me. I think I won a unanimous decision by one point on all the scorecards, and I think that was Bob on. So I thought that's not for me, welterweight. So I moved back down to me like welterweight, won the title against Juan Urango, and then the next fight against Castillo, which was another one of a big name, pound for pound, been yeah. in so many wonderful Good fights. fights. And yeah. I think the manner in which I won that, because he'd, um, although he was in better days at the time, yeah. he'd gone 24 rounds with uh, Mayweather and that, you know, so for me to. You know, to to beat him in four four rounds with a body shot, sort of like beat him at his own game, if you like. I think that set the Mayweather fight up then. Well, he did what Mayweather couldn't do. He stopped him. Yeah, yeah. That yes. was the bottom line. Mm. That was it. And it, I think, you know, Ricky's a bit fabulous what he's done. Was it 45, 45 wins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, when I fought Mayweather, I think it was 45 yeah. unbeaten. Yeah. He ended up with, <clears throat> I think, 48. 40, it was a 48 fights, 40 I only class, class two losses. Yeah. I'm only class two, really. Yeah, and, and, the, and the, last, the last one. But you're talking about, for me, Floyd Mayweather is the best fighter of his generation. You know, there's yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. So it's no, it's no um, disgrace in, in Bennett. And Ricky, obviously, you know, he, 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 like he'd done, he fought, to, fought, fought his heart out as he did. But I, I, I also, I mean, you know, I'm not saying this disrespectfully, 
you know, maybe some of the things that happened outside the ring didn't stand him in good stead. Mm. You know, coming into the fight, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not sure of that. But he, he he's to, to be when you think of a British fighter going in with those, that type of fighter, and at the time, you know, being undefeated in himself and having beaten some seriously big names, um, it was a you know, it was unbelievable for him to get. Well, I always think, you know, I mean. I, I always thought, I'm never going to outbox him, I'm never going to outspeed him. But I thought, if the referee get, lets me get close enough... He's fussy, I, I, wasn't I'll, he? I'll throw, yeah, yeah. I thought, I'll, throw, I'll be able to throw more punches. Yeah. Because, I mean, when the fighters that have been allowed to get close to him were Maidana and Castillo. And when they were allowed to get close to him, that's the two, that's the two fights I feel that, that he's, he struggled in, mm. Mayweather. But I don't think I was given that opportunity. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite here and say the reason why I got beat by Floyd Mayweather was because of the referee. Because people people say, shut up, Ricky, you dickhead. You know, because he's, he's Floyd Mayweather yeah. at the end of the day. But that ate away at me for such a long period because I thought, I thought if anyone was going to beat him, I could have done if they'd have let me. Fight your him. fight. Yeah, let me fight. fight. Which is fight. what he did against Costa And I mean, Joe Cord says, even if, if he was sat in that chair now, and he turned around and said, no, 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 I disagree. We let you fight. I'd call him every lying name under the sun because not just me, fight fans, British fight fans, American fight fans, HBO, it was there for everyone to see. It was refereed shockingly. But, you know, I give him a good go. But I think, you know, by the time the Mayweather fight came along and the Pacquiao fight came along and those fights, I think I was past my best because, one, because I was never really a master of defence. You know, my defence was not, you know wasn't the best in the world and I always was in my fight, my opponent's face. I think when I got there, I think I'd have put a damn sight better performance on if if I'd have looked after myself a little bit better Lifestyle. because, you know, I burnt the Campbell at both ends. And I mean, when you look at by the time I'd got to Mayweather, I'd had 45 fights yeah. and I wasn't a master of defence like Floyd. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think, you know, the fact that because of my style and because I was up and down in weight and all that... I don't think Floyd fought Ricky Hatton at his best, but I still think Ricky Hatton had half a chance if the referee had let me at him the tosser. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah true, honestly, and I believe that. You know, I do. Were you aware of him enjoying himself? Yeah, outside outside of the yeah, ring I mean, at the time you, of you know, and, and and you know, we did have conversations about it, and obviously. You're doing it, you know, people think only, you're only doing it because of the boxing, but you're not. You're dealing it because you're thinking of you know his welfare. And it was it, it was a shame, and obviously there was a lot of contributing factors to it. And I think it was it was uh, it, it was a shame for him to be in that position. He should have been absolutely reveling in being, you know, one of Britain's national sporting heroes. I mean, he was and he is, but he, you know, he should have been enjoying it more. Mm. And I felt there were times where he probably weren't enjoying it as much as he should have done. Talk to me about outside of the ring in the build-up to the likes of a Mayweather or a Pacquiao and stuff like that, because you just said yourself you were enjoying yourself. Well, I was, I was, yeah, in, in enjoying myself, you know, and everything like that. And I've always sort of like been the, been the same. And these like, but I think in my first year as a professional, we had nine fights. And a lot of people going about my lifestyle and everything like that. But if I was doing everything that everything everyone said that I was doing, mm. I wouldn't have been able to win four world titles in two different weights and Ring Magazine and, you know, fight in Vegas and have record crowds. You know, the first fight, my first year I had nine professional oh fights gosh. with Frank. How much time do you think I've had off in the pub to have nine fights a year? Mm. You know, it's nonsense. And, and I'm the first to hold my hands up. And I think people like me because I've never lied 
about the fact, you know, I did over enjoy myself a little bit too much than I should have done. But, you know, I think sometimes people blow it a little bit out of proportion, you know, in what in what it was. But, I mean, at the time of the Mayweather fight, I think I was past my best because I had up in weight, down in weight, up in weight, down in weight. That takes its toll on your body, not just with the with the alcohol that I was, was drinking. But I always, from a very young age, if I, if I went, say, six, eight, nine months without seeing my mates that from school that I grew up from, I started getting paranoid that they thought I was getting too big for my boots or too above my station. So, that, so that, that's, a, that's a weakness inside me between my mind that I felt, oh, I don't want them people thinking of, I've forgotten. I don't want them thinking I've got too big for my boots, too big above my station. And that's a little bit of the, the depressive you know, side it's of anxiety, it. anxiety, isn't it? Yeah, anxiety, that's exactly what it is. And then when I got beat by Mayweather, as hard as it was to accept, it was my biggest payday, I guess, and, you know, and, and I fight Mayweather, but I didn't go over there just for that. I thought I was going to beat him. And when I didn't, I started, you know, I started going really under, not just when I had a drink, when I was just sat on my own. I didn't want to walk out the house. I didn't want to do anything. And along with having the, you know, the drinking and, and stuff like that, eventually it sort of like went a little bit like a runaway train and there was like personal things that happened, like I fell out with Billy Graham and fell out with my mum and dad and there was stuff, things going on out outside the ring. But for that period, you know, but I think it started when the Mayweather fight, you know, happened because the Mayweather fight, I was down, and then I boxed at City of Manchester Stadium, you know, and then I was up. But then I fell out with Billy Graham and I was down. And then I bought Malinaji, I was up. Nolan Liam Gallagher carried the belts yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Then I got beat by Manny Pacquiao, I was down again. So my mind was like yo-yoing and it didn't know whether it was coming or going. And round the Pacquiao fight, that's when I fell out with my mum and dad. And that was a period in my life where I didn't care whether... I lived or died because, you know, I thought I've worked so hard to achieve the things I've got and win the things I've got. And I haven't got my best mate, Billy, who's been there from day one. And I haven't got my parents and my family around me. That was the reason why I did it for in the first place. So from that period, that it went really went really bad for me. Did you go and have help, professional help? Did you talk to anyone? I, I, I did in the end because I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I tried to kill myself and several times, Frank. You know, I, I I had the knife at my wrist, you know, whether I'd been to the pub or not. You know, sometimes I, I was training fighters at the time and I'd come home and I'd been in the gym and the gym was like my smoke, smoke screen because I'd go in for me two hours, train the lads and everyone thought, Ricky's happy. Then I'd go home on my own and I'd be on my own and I'd just start crying. So I'd be sat there with a the knife for hours and then trying to get it out. But then I thought to myself, I thought, I'm never going to be able to, I'm never going to be able to do this. So then I thought to myself, you know what, I'll just drink myself to death. And I was going out all day, every day, drinking myself to death. And then what happens, in order for you to be drinking longer and drinking more, you start taking drugs. And the drugs kept me up longer and kept me drinking more. And then it went for like, just went for a period where I didn't care who I was with. The story come out in the paper, you know, and the only thing I can ask for is a little bit of sympathy for that. I wasn't pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. I wasn't a fraud. I was poorly. And I didn't care who I was with, what I was doing. And... Um, it just one day, you know, when Millie, my second child, came along, I thought, it's not about you no more, it's about your kids, get your act together. And I tried to get it together a bit, but then I thought, I just went and saw a psychiatrist, fell on my knees and just said, you need to help me because I can't do this on my own. It doesn't matter who I beat in that boxing ring, this is going to kill me. Yeah. And, it, and it started getting good from there. How long did you do in the therapy for? I was doing the therapy for maybe a good two years. I went into rehab... 
And I didn't think that the rehab was working for me because I felt the problem is when you're having problems and you're, you're Ricky Hatton or you're right. whoever, everybody sees it on the TV and in the paper. So, you know, you, you know you've, I think people have got to treat me a little bit differently than, you know, because I went to uh, rehab and there was no disrespect, no disrespect when I say this. I hope people realise, you know, there was people who were brickies, there were people who were plumbers, there were people who were painters and decorators who had the same problems, but they didn't have to deal with it like I had to deal with it. Mm. So I thought I should have been having different advice. And then I went to the Tony Adams Sporting Chance where that was for people in a similar profession to you into the, in the sports world. And I found that helped to get me on track because they they understand that, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you've got or how much fame you're supposed to have, sometimes it's worse for you yeah. because public, sees, know, all, the public sees all your mistakes. Mm. Where for, for you, it's just your, your family and close friends. And I think they understood that in the Tony Adams things. And, you know, but it, it, it took a while to get there because um, it, was a, it was a tough uh, part of my life. Do you, do you feel more at ease with yourself now? Do you feel uh, more... You know, I mean, to be honest with you, it's... I mean, I used to look at the Pacquiao fight and be cheesed off with Joe Cortez and be embarrassed about getting beat by Pacquiao too, knocked out in two rounds and, and stuff like that. But, you know, once you've once you've wanted to kill yourself and you've gone that... And, you know, you've come out the other end. Life's never been as, as good for me, even when I was lifting the titles. Now, that sounds daft, you know, because at the time I thought... I'm fairly sorry for myself. I'm, I'm never going to hear there's only one Ricky Hatton. I'm not going to have 40,000 people in Vegas cheering me on. You soak and things that have gone like that. So I used to, I couldn't watch the Pat Mayweather fight, Pacquiao fight. But when you've looked deaf in the face and you've been that low and on the bottom rung of the ladder and you've come out the other end, now I can look back at all them things and look back at them with pride and, and joy and stuff like that. And, you know, since I got myself back together, I made up with Billy Graham. You know, which was brilliant. I see Billy on a regular basis now. I made up with my mum and dad. I've got three kids, three kids now, and a grandchild. If I'd have slipped my wrist, I wouldn't have had the time I'm having with Billy. I wouldn't have had the time with my mum and dad. And I wouldn't have had the time with my kids and the time with my grandkids. I had. And that's all because I got off my big fat ass and went and told someone. And got it off my chest and spoke to people and said, help me. And that's what I think you've you've got to do. And that was the biggest... I made a lot of decisions in that boxing ring, you know, about this move, that move. Should we fight him? Should we fight him? The best decision I was was go to that psychiatrist and say, help me. And I tell you what, I've had so many good times since now. You know, thank God I did it, yeah. You've obviously spent time as well in therapy. How did it, yep. how did it help you? Well, it did. I think it helps you understand... You know, I think the penny drops. You talk, you talk. You only go in there talking about what's you know probably on your mind and bugging you. But at the end of the day, I think you find, you become self-aware of what you got to do to deal with whatever's your issue or what's in your mind. Yeah. <clears throat> but you know, I, I I felt I needed to do it, and I and I did it, and I did it for a reason. And uh, at the end of the day, because I've got quite an addictive personality, you're addicted in different ways to different things, you know. So and doing things. So <clears throat> at the end of the day, I am. Um, I came to realise myself what, you know, through these discussions with, you know, with a professional person, where, you know, w what was happening in my life and what I needed to do to, to change the direction I was going in, which is what I did. But um, 
you also be careful. Some people become addicted to a therapy. Yeah. So you've got to, you know, work, work your way through it. But, I, I, you know, it, it helped me, and I, think, and I think it helps anybody to be able to do it. And I think you've got to have the courage to do it and admit that, you know, you're like every, everybody's fallible. Everybody has their, their moments of weaknesses. They have weaknesses, and, uh, and the only way to do it is to be – in the end of that, you've got to be strong and realise what, you know, what you're doing and to come to terms with what you're doing. And that's the only way you're going to deal with it. That must help you professionally as well, because obviously working with Ricky, going through what yeah, he's doing, I, I, now I, you're going through with Tyson. Promoting, I'm on a small thing, but I mean, it's a pressure game, isn't it? especially when yes. at the level of promoting that, that Frank is. I used to do it at a small level, then the last night opponent would pull out or this or that. that you think to yourself, that, and that's why I probably don't <laughs> do it now, because I thought, like, well, I don't want to do this. I think, I think that becomes a way of life. Yeah, you know, yeah. When I first started out, you'd like be tearing your hair out. What am I going to do? You know, This guy's out and you're racing around looking for a putt, but then it just becomes a way of life. And you accept that's what you're in. My disappointment in boxing is the fallouts. Yeah, you know, and it's always about one thing. Inevitably, it's about money, and that's what. The, the, and it's relationships and breaking down what you feel's got a good relationship. We lost our relationship for a while. I never had, a, never ever had a crossword between us. We it broke down, and we got it back on track. And I was really pleased about that. And that's 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 you know that's you want to share moments. You want to sit down and you know. What he did in the ring, I was a small part of that, and I enjoyed being part of that. And, and no one ever can take that away from from me, from my perspective, anyway. And you want to enjoy that, but it's you know you, things happen in boxing, and it's communication, and it, the communication should be between all of you. You know, if somebody's carrying the message, the message doesn't get delivered correctly, then then that can lead to a schism and and lead to a fallout. Mm-hmm. But I think it's all about all of us sitting down working it out between us and if there is a problem and dealing with it. Yeah, and it's like, you know, without, you know, going into details, I mean, you can't, you can't be experienced, you know, in, in whatever, in whatever you do. And at the, um, you know, at the at the time when I was, you was know, a kid. I was a kid, you know, and I was just concentrating on my boxing and I didn't, you know, I didn't look in, into, you know, I was concentrating my boxing and I didn't take any, any interest whatsoever in the other side. And to be honest with you, you know, you know, you've got to see as boxing your job, and your boxing your job is not just it's how you make your living. So you've got to look into the other side, you know. And to be honest with you, that's what I, that's what I've learned from experience now. You know, now I've retired, I look into all aspects of me, and I'm not happy to just let somebody rock on and do it and expect them to do a good job. I take, um, I look at every every area you know I've got a little bit of a clothing range I've got my health and fitness centre I train my boxers I do my sportsman's dinners but you know I used to just get the mic and put the gloves on and throw that and that was that but I think you've got to when it's your life your livelihood and your business you've got to take a little bit more interest in it and I think looking back in hindsight I think that's what I'd have done well when you'd done that we would have it wouldn't have been a problem yeah yeah and that was simple as that and we you know and obviously it is what it is the Costa Zoo fight was the pinnacle, and then it just went from there. It just went, went, and we never did any more after that, which was a great shame. But I value where we are now. The fact that we can, you know, we meet up, and it's been the last couple of years, and and now we know, you know, between us what was what, and it's, we, you know, we got. I think we got a really, really good, strong relationship, and I'm pleased with that. Time's a great healer, isn't it? Time is a great healer. Yeah. You now training. Obviously, I, I see Instagram every now and again. Your boys. Uh, Following in his father's footsteps. Yeah, I think once you've you've been there and hung the gloves up, uh, I think I think I'm a little bit better trainer now, if I'm, if I'm honest. Because when I first started, when the Pacquiao fight, when it, it, it sent it sent me into retirement, so I needed to find a new job. 
if you like, you know what I mean? I've boxed, I've been in the gym all every day, all day, from every day in my working life to all of a sudden, what do I do now? And I think that helped get me in the, in the, in the, on the bottom rung of the ladder where I ended up because I didn't have nothing to do. So I started being a trainer, but I still wanted to fight, even yeah. though I was training. So I don't think my heart was was in it now, but I'd like to think I'm a better a better trainer now. And it's uh, Is that why you came back for Senchenko? That's why I came... Well, I came back for Senchenko because, I mean, even though... I felt, I felt like because of the wrong things that had, that had happened to me, like the article in the paper... And the you know the, the the suicide attempts and the the you know the addiction and and all that, I thought to myself you know I've always grown up as Ricky one of the lads kid next door and all like that, and I didn't want people thinking I was a fraud and that's why I said earlier, the only thing I can ask is for is a little bit of sympathy but through that period, I was a very poorly person, mm. and even though people say listen Rick we've all had our problems you're no different to anyone else, you've had your problems don't worry about it no. I do worry about it. And I felt I had to put the record straight and sort of like get me my fans proud of me again. And my fans were proud of me, always they showed proud up. of me. They but, showed up, but, didn't yeah, they? But, but in your head it was a different story. In my story. head, it doesn't matter what you think, it's what I think. I need to get this off my chest. And that's what I did. And I think after the fight, even though probably picked a more dangerous opponent than maybe I should have done, but I think after the fight, people say, well, he picked that former world champion after all these things he's been through and look at the show he put on. Fair play, Ricky, to you. And that's what I was after. And yeah. that's what I got from it, you know. So then I could move on with my life. I could start watching my old fights and feel happy rather than sad. You got closure. Yeah, that's and that's you right, you know. So I think I'm a good trainer now and I've got a few unbeaten prospects in the gym that are coming on, on well. And Campbell, my son's uh, really de- developing now. I think he might have it, not putting too much pressure on him, but he's slipped a gear in the last 12 months. He's dedicated. One thing he's, he, one thing he, he won't be able to do is what I did. It's because <laughs> you know everybody in the world. He knows all the moves. Yeah, he's been there, done that. We've bought the T-shirts, and so start behaving yourself, you know. The spies are but, out. No, but I think he might, you know, and it's my job to just, you know, there's enough pressure on his uh, shoulders just let him develop. He's working with myself, working with Matthew. They're doing a great job with him at the Roy Richardson Academy there in Stockport. And he really has come on leaps and bounds. And I'd be a liar if I didn't think he'd go pro eventually. He just needs to tighten up and tweak a few little things here and there. But when he's ready, I think uh, we might we might have another another coming. That'd be brilliant. Let's... Uh, you know, get get it. You know, let's get it ready well, again. Yeah. Let me ask you. you know, when he mentioned earlier, Ricky, about being on Sky, and he was. You know, from day one. Yeah. No terrestrial TV. We moved from ITV back then. Went to Sky and built built Sky's boxing. And he, you know, Ricky was the standout young guy that come through. And then Ricky went into promoting, um, <clears throat> and he was promoting some shows there. And they, I think at that time they were pretty ambivalent about boxing. There were about, there were about four or five promoters working there and we've all got eight dates I remember back in the day I had the majority of the champions I had um, Martin Murray and Scott Quigg uh, Anthony Crawler um, I had had a fair fair, fair majority and then I left I went off and started up Box Nation about nine months before they you know before these guys and Ricky had this had this fabulous relationship and I just wanted to ask you Rick you know when they stopped covering your shows, the way they dealt with it was pretty awful, wasn't it? 
Well, yeah, I was I was disappointed at the time, but I think you you said earlier, didn't it? You? you know, times are so times are great here, and you know, I'm where I'm where I am present day, training me lads, and you know, working with Frank a little bit here and there, and everything like that. It's you know, and I still you know I'm still you know one of me you know a couple of me lads you know boxed on the Sky Show the the other day, you know. So, but I mean, it's uh, what I think what I mentioned earlier. I think I was the only champion to come through solely on Sky, and I you know and show that it could be done. Yep. I think, I'd like to think I was one of the reasons why Sky is where it is today. And I don't know if that's me being a bit, no, sounding a bit, I, of a, I, I, bit of a, because everyone who knows me, that's not, not what I'm about. And I have no um, vendettas against anyone. And I just, when I invested my money and I invested it and I got all these champions and that, and then when the plug got pulled, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed. You yeah. get a text saying, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's not, you know, and I, I thought they, well, he, he's not going to say it, but I think he was treated really badly by in that in that day and it, it, was, it shouldn't have happened. Hmm. Listen, from my point of view, I just want to thank you. I've said to Frank on many occasions, Prince Nazim is the person that introduced me to boxing, got me fascinated with it. You're the person that made me fall in love with the sport. So thank you very much for the ride, mate. What's the con- enjoyed it. What's the conclusions from the conversation? Talk to me about this man. He's a great, great man. One of British boxing and sports heroes. Sporting hero, a man and a people. It's a great phrase, man. Absolutely. Good sportsmen, great spokesmen who are loved by the people are men, are men and the people. And Ricky Hatton is a prime example of that. And he's done fabulously for himself, his family, Manchester and for Britain. Right, let's go for a pint. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, the highs and lows of Ricky Hatton's career and life story. Hope you enjoyed it. I most certainly did, being a proper fanboy there. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, Frank Warren for sorting that out. And of course, thanks to Ricky for his time. Uh, You can subscribe to this via iTunes and Acast and all your usual podcast places. Make sure you do so. There's four episodes up there now. We have had Tyson Fury, Piers Morgan, John Burko, and of course now Ricky, and there'll be more to come next week. Rate and review us as well to help us in the iTunes chart. We'll catch you next time.